Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. LEFC. My name is Nicholas Todd, and I serve LEFC as the Minister of Mobilization. Now, if you have been part of LEFC's life groups or adult Bible fellowships, our ABFs, uh, you received an email from me just a week ago on Sunday with a little survey. So I want to bring everyone up to speed. I asked a single question in the survey. What are the three most important qualities in a spouse? Now, you don't have to be married to hold an opinion on this. You don't have to be an adult to hold an opinion on this. Anybody can be opinionated on this. So if you filled it out, what did you say? If you didn't, what would you have said? Three most important qualities in a spouse. I tell you, I got some opinions. In fact, I received more than 800 submissions or descriptors from people on what they thought was important in a spouse. And I asked people to go with their gut just to be honest. I appreciate honesty, uh, but it, it's entertaining at the same time. So let me, let me share some of the highlights um, with you of some of the data I got. Someone wrote that they thought that spending time together without football, without TV, and without politics was an important quality. I like that one. I thought, I thought we could all take that one, especially, uh, especially in, our, in our season right now. Another one, in the processing of the data, I had to categorize some of the words together for simplicity. A number of people said they wanted a spouse to be hot <laughs> or have a hot bod, which begs the question, which generation says hot bod? <laughs> I have also included items related to appearance in this category, such as beautiful handsome, or large biceps. <laughs> the top three qualities were, the top three qualities were, number one, Christian. That was the first one. Likely meaning they were looking for somebody, for a spouse to be a Christian. If there was someone who said like-minded or of similar faith, I, I lumped those together. Number two was honest. 
good one, having an honest spouse. And number three was trustworthy. Someone pointed out to me that depending on interpretation of the data and how you define honest and trustworthy, they might be the same thing. But I don't know. I didn't interview everybody. But in the event they are the same thing, the next quality with the most entries was humor or sense of humor. This survey was not without purpose. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. Jesus continues in what's often called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been in our current series for a number of weeks on Matthew 5 through 7. Our ushers have Bibles, and they'll, they'll happily give you one if you need one today. Now, we're still in the beginning of our sermon series, spending a Sunday on each of the Beatitudes. Jesus' sayings about the positive judgment of God and his approval of us. Pastor Tony gave us a scope of this series early on, and Preach through, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He then said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And this week, we're in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Yeah, if you didn't know, know this. The, uh, the Kidman classes in first through fourth grade are memorizing the Beatitudes. Join them in this journey. If you need help thinking about how to memorize the Beatitudes, come talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about some of those ideas. But join the first through fourth graders. Like I said earlier, I, I got a lot of entries on how you all view what is important in a spouse. How many entries do you think there were for meek or meekness? One, there was one, one entry for, for meek, which is, looking at all the data, just as many entries as we had for deeply rooted in their love for celery, and just as many entries as we had for killer dance moves. Now, um, I did begin to lump some together. To be fair, there were two entries for gentleness, and there were other entries for humble or humility. And if I combine all of those, if I start to squint my eyes a little bit and think, this, this could be meek, this could be it. If I start to lump all of those together, meek at best would make it to number 10. But only one person actually used that word. 
Did you know there's more than 3,000 characters in Scripture? Not all of them are named. But there's more than 3,000 characters. How many are called meek? Just two. In all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, only two people are ever called meek. Moses and Jesus. Today, we explore meekness and the words of Jesus when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have given to us in our lives. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the words that we have that we can study and think about. And Lord, I ask that the words of your scripture will penetrate our heart. Unite us in this endeavor. May we bring glory to your name. Amen. We're going to read from Numbers 12 in just a minute. Numbers 12. That's the fourth book from the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Chapter 12. Put your hand there when you find it. We're going to be looking at Moses. And Moses is most often considered quite the hero. Considering the New Testament, the disciples of Jesus would know about Moses even though he was more than a thousand years before them. They would know his stories because they heard his stories. They told his stories. They were taught his stories. They used the stories of Moses in their teaching lessons. And Moses was absolutely essential to their understanding of their place in the world. Moses was their Superman. I collected comic books for years. I have an attic full of them. And when I saw characters flying, using heat vision, going faster than a speeding bullet, using super strength, I would imagine, I would play like I could do those same things. And that's what Moses was to his Jewish audience. Moses was that mild-mannered superhero. Now, Moses was raised in money. Isn't that part of the superhero narrative? He was raised in money, but he did something. At some point, he kills a man and he flees. Moses was at the burning bush. He confronted Pharaoh about the abuse of his people. He also had to talk to Pharaoh. He had to give Pharaoh a heads up that a plague of frogs was coming, that a plague of lice was coming, and that his livestock were going to be decimated. He had to deliver that to Pharaoh. Moses was part of the splitting of the Red Sea. And I, I think we, we've heard that story so much, we might minimize it just a little bit. Think about it like this. When I take things in from my car, I often try to see how many things I can carry. I can carry three gallon containers in each hand. Give me a break, y'all, can you? Come on, all right, three gallon containers in each hand. Three, right here, gallon containers. When they total up, that's about 50 pounds. 
And I, I know I'm, I'm a little bit of a hulk to you. <laughs> what about Moses? Moses in the splitting of the Red Sea. He put his hand out over the sea, and then a strong wind shows up. And the next morning, there's water on the left, and there's water on the right. right. Walls of water. You better believe that he felt the weight of that water as his people walked through it, and it was more than 50 pounds. These are just some resume highlights for Moses. All throughout scripture, he has a presence. He has a strength. But there's more to it. At the burning bush found in Exodus 3, after hearing the Lord and the direction for Moses to liberate his people, Moses responds with, who am I? Another time, he says, I'm not a good speaker. And then a third time, he says, Send someone else. By that point in his life, Moses had spent 40 years away from the palace he was raised in. He became a shepherd. He started a family. And the edges, the harshness, the arrogance, the princeliness was turned into something. Let's be in Numbers 12. I'm starting in verse 1. Follow along with me. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses. Uh, Miriam and Aaron, uh, brother and sister of Moses. Let me start again. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out of the tent of meeting. Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And and he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold it against us, the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, please, God, heal her. It's Numbers 12. The text in verse 3 says that Moses was a very humble man, the most humble person on earth. The Hebrew for this humble 
is the same word used for meek. There are references to the humble, the meek, using this same word in the Psalms, in Isaiah, in Amos, and Zephaniah. But only Moses is called it in the Old Testament. So what is happening in this situation that I read? Think about it like this. Your brother and sister start getting catty about your wife. And then they start to flex. God speaks through us. Moses is nothing. We don't exactly know where Moses is right now, but God does call all three of them out to the tent of meeting. It's not unreasonable to think that Moses was right there and was hearing this, feeling this face to face with them. He was being attacked by family. And with family, sometimes you slip into roles. I am the youngest in my family. I have an older brother and an older sister. And to this day, when we are together, we enjoy each other. But families feel freedom, for good or for bad, when they are with each other, to act certain ways. I can be at my worst with them. I slip into the baby brother stereotype. Moses is that baby brother. But unlike me, Moses keeps his mouth shut. Even after his wife is attacked and his role in life is questioned. Miriam exits the conversation with God with a new visual. She's covered in the sores of leprosy. One person's sense of justice might be that she deserved it. But Moses, the accused, the picked on, the innocent, the quiet, the powerful, he cries out. This is his first voice in this moment. He cries out to God on behalf of his attacker. Please, God, heal her. His resting place, his confidence is in the Lord. Let this be meek. Would you turn to Mark 11? Holy Week is the week leading to Easter that connects in Scripture with Jesus entering Jerusalem. It is the final week of Lent. Many churches will identify the Sunday before Easter as Palm Sunday because palms were set on the ground as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. There's a pretty close, pretty close day-by-day storyline that can be tracked in the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark 11. We're starting in verse 1. Follow along with me. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. So they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. 
many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jerusalem would explode with energy during Passover. And that's what Jesus was entering into in Jerusalem. Just like any major festival in non-pandemic years, families get together, they tell stories, you eat grand meals, and you remember and acknowledge what the Lord has done in your life, the blessings in your life. The Passover festival was a Jewish holiday celebrating Israelite exodus from Egypt. Who led that exodus? It was Moses. We got Moses again. When a large group of people show up to a city to celebrate something, perhaps protest, tensions can be high. Law enforcement is often increased. Any Eagles fans out there? I'm sorry. Look, Look at, think about it this way. When the Eagles won the Super Bowl, a celebration made sense. But fans, not all, but some fans felt the best way to celebrate such a victory was to destroy something or light something on fire. Now, not all celebrations involve destruction or fire, but for thousands of years, there seems to be this concern about celebrations and what might happen. So imagine there is a festival, a celebration that celebrates a people's liberation from an oppressive empire. Pilate, the Roman governor, would travel with troops from his coastal villa in this time to proclaim two things, his theological empire and his military empire. The first proclamation, Roman imperial theology. The ruler of Rome carried divine title. It started with the emperor Augustus. The story was that Augustus's father was the Greek god Apollo. And as long as this family line continued, the emperor of Rome was not simply the ruler of Rome, but also the son of God. Second proclamation, military power. Any military parade carries a number of symbols, most of which are about might, power, and self. Pilate would enter from the west with his troops, marching in step to drums, swords, shields, spears, weapons, all on display. This display is a threat to all watching. Those weapons will be used if needed. It intimidates. On January 14th of this year, military hardware and submarine-launched ballistic missiles under development went down the street in Pyongyang, Korea. A show of strength, might, capabilities, intimidation. 
to the rest of the world. Flags fly proudly in some of the pictures I've seen. Roman legions would carry their weapons, their banners, and their symbols of might. How do you think Pilate arrived on scene? Where was he? What image did he project to those watching? Was he riding Lil Sebastian, the miniature horse from Parks and Rec? No way. A military leader would not ride a, mil- a, a miniature horse. Pilate would ride a towering, powerful war horse to intimidate. It was a show of might, and from that height, you can look down upon the people you rule. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Did you hear that? For I am gentle. This is the same Greek word for meek used in the words of Jesus in the Beatitudes. For I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus, entering Jerusalem from the opposite side of Pilate, entering from the east, rightful ruler, benevolent leader, righteous, victorious, healer of the sick, giver of sight, rabbi to children, women, and men, the word made flesh, the only true son of God, enters on a donkey. He was there at creation. It's all his. He has the power to take it all back. The earth is the Lord's. That he gives it to us to steward. Let this be meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Who gets the world? Who gets the earth in the world we are a part of? You've heard the beatitude. But who actually gets it? We, the people in this room and all of mankind, are called to steward what we have been given through God's creation. This is our minds, it's our bodies, this is education, this is the earth itself. It's kind of rough because it's everything. Even our culture. 
And there is sometimes an us versus them idea that exists in the church. It becomes this talking war of those people over there made it this way. Hear me, church. We, as participants in life on earth, as Christians, share the blame with non-Christians for whatever our culture has become. We are part of this American culture, and we are, and I mean this very kindly, to blame for the culture we encounter. Think about the values of the culture we have created. Who gets the earth? The powerful, the mighty, the rich, the ones with the strongest weapons, the ones called global superpowers. When Jesus was telling the Beatitudes to those listening, it says that Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down and his disciples came around him and started listening. That's chapter 5. In chapter 4, at the very end, it says, Now large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, the the Jordan region, region were following him around because of his miraculous work and teaching. When I imagine this, I don't see 12 disciples sitting around Jesus for the Sermon on the Mount. It's bigger than that. His disciples sat at his feet like any student of of a rabbi would. But... Others can listen and bear witness to the conversation. If a large group of people were traveling around an area, I think this would attract attention. And with attention, you get some level of military presence. How do you think the Roman soldiers at the edge of the crowd responded to this specific beatitude? Blessed are the meek! For they will inherit the earth. I think they'd laugh. I think they'd walk away reporting back to their commanders, we got nothing to worry about. This is nothing. Because they knew better. They knew how the world actually worked. That Caesar had seized the world and Roman Empire ruled the earth. They got the world by being aggressive, demanding, cunning, and willing to fight to stay the ruling superpower. That is what informs our culture and how we live to this day. The powerful, the mighty, the rich, the ones with the strongest weapons. I tell you, I hate that I think that. I hate that I contribute to that. I hate that I want those things. I might say it's for good. I might, I might in my prayers ask God for, for the power to do something. I might say it's good, that it's for God's kingdom, but there's something in me 
that knows there's a darkness to it all, a self-aggrandizing. I want to be a winner. I want to be successful. But ultimately, it leads to grasping and clutching. And it's counter to the words of Jesus. I don't use the word meek. Do you use the word meek? I don't really use the word. How do you hear the word meek used? It is used to describe people. I occasionally, <laughs> I'm occasionally a reference uh, for people. And uh, I, get to call, I get a call, someone is checking the reference, asking about someone. And, and to describe them, I say they are the meekest person I know. Is that a glowing reference based on the world we're a part of? I've thought about this. Could I use meek a little bit more in my language? Could I use the, a slightly more positive interpretation of it and, and use it in a way that is wonderful? But... I, I don't think I'm going to be able to change our world to use the word meek differently. And I don't think you can either. But I am committed to the internal work that I can pray diligently for formation and pursue the teachings of Jesus. So what does it mean to be meek? We have examples from Moses and Jesus. We have the behavior they displayed as meek individuals. Thinking about it, it's a real shame that meek is so similar to the word weak in English. It implies that meekness has no brain, no strength, no convictions, no drive, no guts. So how do we define meekness with the lens of Jesus? Meekness is not about being powerless. Meekness for us is about remaining teachable, demonstrating love, exhibiting power, under God's control. It's elevating others above ourselves. It's the opposite of pride. Pride is self. Meekness is about God and others. It isn't think less of yourself. It is think of yourself less. It is an understanding of meekness that we get from Jesus. Jesus was the most powerful there could be. Jesus knew who he was. No one born will ever be greater than Jesus. But Jesus laid down his divine power and greatness and appeared on earth as we all do right now. It's a total mind game to think that Christ is infinitely greater and more powerful than any one of us. And he is also infinitely more meek. It is in this place of being we can joyfully accept 
our inheritance, something that is ours to live and prosper in. As I have prayed through the Beatitudes for a time in my life, I've experienced God moving me away from the immediate moment and pushing me towards his future. I want to say that again. In my praying of the Beatitudes, I have experienced God moving me away from the immediate moment and pushing me towards his future. And this isn't just for me. The Beatitudes call and invite all disciples of Jesus into a new way of being, into a different kind of community where our own individual hopes and dreams are subject to unity of purpose, mission, and life in Christ. I think it's a path that all must pursue as followers of Jesus. In that pursuit, as we become more common to some, as we become more common to those around us, we become the mild-mannered superheroes that Christ intended for us to be. What does it mean to become increasingly meek in your life? Who in your sphere could receive a meeker you for the glory of God? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, the words of the Beatitudes shake me up. Poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering and thirsting, merciful. And I'm not sure it defines me. And Lord, I ask that you reveal to, to me the people in my life where a more meeker version of myself would bring you glory. Where my interactions with them would portray these beatitudes these qualities. Not so that uh, I'm the nice guy. But so that I can point them to you. Lord, help me to know how I can use my power, what I've been given through my life, whether it's physical, whether it's a title, 
Help me to, to know how I can use those things for other people's good. Holy Spirit, I beg of you that you do the, the same thing for every person in this room with names come to their minds about people that they can connect with. Or they know that the most amazing thing that they can do in that moment is be humble and gentle and meek with that other person. Bring those things up in us for your kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Let's continue our worship. Well, we have some time to reflect, some time to consider the things that Nick brought to us this morning, the things that the Lord has laid on our hearts. I would invite you to stay seated while we begin singing this next song and consider those things. And Consider what our response is to God. Tell it to the man. 
Church, uh, to my left, we have our encounter room where if you would like to, to meet and pray with somebody, if you want to share about what the Lord is doing in your life, consider going to the encounter room to share that with them as part of this community. I will also be here at the, at the front of the stage as we end our second service. Talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. There are four things I think we can reflect upon in light of Matthew 5, 5. The first thing, does, does meekness appeal to you or not? Why or why not? Number two, what things are sources of pride to you? What about these things makes you proud? And how do humility and pride fit together as you think about these things? Number three, how do you think God is calling you to think about the things that bring you pride? And the last one, the Apostle Paul writes on gentleness and humility, but he never says that he himself is meek. Read 1 Corinthians 4.21, 2 Corinthians 10.1, Galatians 6.1, Ephesians 4.2, 1 Timothy 6.11, 2 Timothy 2.25, and Titus 3.2. After reading that, how would you explain Paul's writings on meekness and why he doesn't call himself meek? These are the same questions that are in the Engage Guide that's available on our website. And I encourage you to reflect upon these things this week. Consider joining the first through fourth graders in memorizing the Beatitudes. Let's do that together as a church. Receive this blessing, this benediction. May God, through all of creation, remind us of our place in this world. May Jesus Christ, through his words and living, strengthen our meekness. And may the Holy Spirit affirm us as we pursue depth of soul and Christian living. Go well into the day, go well into the week. We'll see you next Sunday.